Welcome to today's episode of CLCI Live, brought to you by the award-winning and ICF-accredited school, Certified Life Coach Institute. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, will your clients ever have enough <laughs> um, or hedonic adaptation or the hedonic treadmill. But before we go there and before we talk about that, um, Hello, everybody. This is CLCI. Hi, hi. And um, uh, we want, if you guys are watching, in the, the anybody out there paying attention to us, please go ahead and leave comments uh, in the chat. We, we are monitoring them and we do want to hear from you. We want to hear your feedback um, as we talk about this really kind of, I don't know, is this a, a topic depressing? <laughs> uh, I think its ultimate conclusion is depressing. Um, I, think so. I, I think it's neutral. It's got some good aspects. It's got. I will some make it depressing. I will find a way to make it a bummer. <laughs> of course, you will. Uh-huh. So, we are talking about the hedonic treadmill. Um, based on those two words, does anybody know what hedonic means? Well, earlier I was reading hedonistic, so <laughs> I don't it think it's that. Same root there. Yeah. So, like, if you're a hedonist, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I just anything I want for pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, sex, drugs, rock and roll, all that cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and treadmills, you know, we all know what a treadmill is. So it's the running on a treadmill. What? The ping pong of what we think pleasures us. Yeah. I'm going to give you the actual definition of oh, hedonic, okay. which is uh, relating to or considering in terms of pleasant or, or pleasant sensations unpleasant. or unpleasant mm-hmm. sensations. So, which is interesting. Like, I mean, it seems. <laughs> It, shouldn't it just be sensations? Like, why does it say, yeah, that's probably a good point. Yeah. Like, shouldn't well, it just okay. So if, if I mean, you're, if you're getting historical and you're like, what's hedonism actually like mean? Um, it's basically a philosophy of increasing or maximizing your pleasures in life and adding to that, decreasing the amount of suffering you have in your life. And if you can sort of Weigh them out and compare. I guess you know what's really funny here. though, because like I'm, I'm talking. I don't care. <laughs> Someone is calling. We have a call in too. I don't know why. I thought I. The definition is kind of innocuous though, but we as a society have kind of I think applied a lot of meaning to hedonistic. But when you read it, like the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the sole here in my way, uh, sole or chief good in life. So like, essentially like being happy is the good thing in life like that's which what's wrong with that like why does hedonism get a bad name i don't i don't think it does <laughs> um people might think hedonism is like you're only pursuing short-term happiness so like if i just want to eat a cheeseburger every day and do well, it sounds like it's a bad word it's like a bad thing but it's not really necessarily right yeah no, and people define pleasure and happiness in a lot of different ways, whether it's short-term or long-term. And I think, I'm going to say pretty much 99% of the world is hedonistic. They just have their own fancy ways of dressing it up and justifying uh-huh. it. So it doesn't sound as bad. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, it's that's what, I mean, the pursuit of happiness, right? Yeah. 
it's guaranteed in our constitution. That is hedonism. And for all of our um, international listeners, suck it. So if you want to be happy. (laughs) Just kidding. If you want to be happy, you're a hedonist. (laughs) Yeah. Which is kind of silly. And actually, it's funny as we were doing research in this. So much, uh, there's so much callback to coaching, and uh, that that is interesting. Um, but we're joking a lot. Um, but that, if we take that pleasure, what does the hedonistic adaptation mean, or hedonistic treadmill? What are we meaning when we speak about the hedonic treadmill or the hedonic adaptation? Come on, guys, we've got this. I, I guess. <laughs> I could explain it as a cyclical pursuit where there is really no end. Um, that's where that treadmill, or excuse me, not treadmill, that, did we say treadmill or did we yeah, say treadmill? treadmill. I think, okay, same thing. I'm thinking hamster wheel. That works better visually for me. So I'm going to go with hamster wheel. Um, and really, again, talking about that pursuit of happiness was that literal, you know, there's no stopping point when you're on a, a treadmill or a hamster wheel, uh, I guess, unless you turn it off. Um, something I'm sure we'll speak about later. You can't. What does turning off the treadmill imply metaphorically then? Death. <laughs> or you just refuse to be a part of that process, which I think we could probably speak into a little bit more. Mm, um, antinatalism. That, I so can talk about that. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the treadmill though, right? You mm-hmm. end up, or the, the hamster wheel, you're going to end up right back where you start, right? You're on a cycle and you're going to end up right back where you start. It's not even that. It's Hello. like you're... Because if you're like on a track, like if instead of running on a treadmill, you're running on like a circular track, you're always going to end up right where you start, but you're making like forward movement on a treadmill. You're not even going forward. You're spinning your wheels and staying in the same place. Um, But so when we talk about the hedonic treadmill, studies have shown that about 50% of everybody's happiness level is, you know, is predetermined by your genetics. So if you're, super ha- i gotta move my hand so it's in camera so if you're a super happy person you're always up here 50 percent of that is due to just the way you were born and maybe an extra 10 percent, i think was like from your upbringing um and you're not if whatever variances you're going to have you'll always return to that baseline that level and if you're a generally unhappy person uh you know 50 percent of it but you're stuck i don't think though that that's fair because what you're what you're doing right now, we're, we're, when we're talking about the set point, that midline, that place we fall back, I don't think if 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 it's low and in the happy, the idea is it's in the sort of middle space, right? <laughs> not like down well, here or up here. Not, <laughs> n- no, not exactly. People will have varying levels of what is their happiness level. Well, yeah, that's true. the the general trend from the studies is that you'll always return to your general level whether you have something really awesome happen in your life you get a life coach and achieve every goal you have imaginable or really bad things happen in your life um whatever it is you're always going to return to your baseline eventually and you'll get used to whatever suffering or happiness that you're having right now well yes that is an example they give is they did a study with people who won the lottery and people who had been in an accident that rendered them um uh, paraplegic. paraplegic or um and so the what was interesting is they found that a lot of times the the lottery winners were experiencing less happy happiness than the folks who were paraplegic um and we're talking about a year later so a year yeah. from when they became either wealthy or paraplegic a year later they all more or less went to their baseline i mean it, it kind of reminds me of shopaholics right 
they're trying to get that that you know yeah. it's anything it's i think it, we're i i know that especially with uh folks who have trauma a lot of times yeah. we can do this yeah right <laughs> um and the idea i've always said is i want to bring my 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 thing I just want to narrow that. Your valleys and your peaks. My valleys and peaks be smaller um, and not be these big things. It, but it does play a big role in resilience too, though. Yeah. So we may think that this is bad and depressing, but where it's not bad and depressing is you're going to return to that set point even after the lows mm-hmm. if you just give it some time. Yeah. Okay, so it actually gave me hope when I was reading about this. I was like, oh, so if something really bad happens in my life, I will eventually come back to my happiness set point. Okay. So bad things aren't really that scary knowing that I have this fear of like something horrible will happen and then I'll never be the same, right? I'll just be in this pit of misery and despair for the rest of my life. And now I'm like, that's not going to happen. Well, we're going to rate, we're going to rate on your parade yeah, a little bit. You know, the contrarian, he hasn't had his say yet. Wait, wait for it. Wait for it. Okay. Anthony. There are at least two instances that they've found that that will permanently lower your set point. Permanently. Yeah. So like you've got your baseline and it just lowers the baseline uh, almost permanently. And that's the death of a child. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Also, uh, chronic unemployment. So people who are chronically incapable of holding a job they found it will permanently lower their happiness set point. Mm-hmm. Um, also prison, being in prison, um, well, not permanent for the duration of somebody who is in prison, their happiness set point is lowered as well. Um, what do you guys think ties those all together? I have an idea. I think it's, yeah, you, you share it. I feel like in each one of those scenarios, um, there's a, an extreme lack of purpose. Um, I know. I don't know specifically how it is to have a kid, but I can imagine that you know, <clears throat> for that child and to lose that child really uh, appreciates your your feeling and your when it comes to your pursuit or excuse me, not your pursuit, but your understanding and want to be, I guess, integral to something, to a part of something or someone. Um, so I think that's important. You brought up something I was going to bring up a little later, but we could just dive in. In doing research for this, after hearing that we're gonna, we've got this set point that we'll always return to, my next natural question was, how do you raise your set point? Like, how do you take your set point and bring it up so that your re- re- like reset, you know, your is higher and in a happier zone? Um, and there, there's only uh, really one way to do that that they found, um, and that's. It's interesting. So it's and that it's doing good for others, right? I don't know. Oh, okay. It's doing. It's it's living an an altruistic life, mm-hmm. a life that is whose purpose is to do good for others. And what's very important is that purpose part. It has to be your idea that you're doing good for others. Like it does not work if Anthony told me to go do something nice for somebody. It would in no way like benefit my set happiness set point. Brooke tells me to do things for her all the time. It does not make me feel better. <laughs> Did I spell altruistic correctly? Altruism. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. It's altruism. Check mark. <laughs> but the moment it's it has to be which this is where it called back the coaches. I thought this was funny, and I'm, I'm going to find the actual quote the way it was put because it has to be our idea to be doing the good thing for other people. And why is that? That's because it gives us a sense of purpose and it, it makes us 
feel like we're in control of our lives. Yeah. So for the coaches out there who have a client who like, or is like, I want to find my purpose in life. I want to be fulfilled and happy and blah, 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 blah. You can't just tell them, okay, we'll do nice things for other people and then you'll be happy. Because then for one, you're telling them to do something, which is not coaching. Two, it actually backfires when they try to do something with their own self-interest because someone else told them to do it they're not going to get anything out of it or what they do get out of it. It's not going to be lasting at all. Uh, and there they are on the treadmill. They're putting that, in a lot of effort, but going nowhere. Which is that huge reminder for coaches. Don't tell like, right. Cause you're, 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 your client is not going to get happiness from that. It has to be their idea. It has to come from them. So what you do is you gather the information that they're telling you, you gather the information, put it in that empty vessel, and you tell them what they've just said. Here you shared this information. Here you've shared that information. What comes to mind as I share this back to you, what you've given to me, right? So you're going to ask those questions. It's the nature, our human nature to want to do good as well as coaches, as any human would, and want to help that person figure it out and give them the answers, but that's not going to do it as we're exploring in this discussion. Now it is all about your client's ownership and participation on what their purpose idea uh, and idea and tell people to go do nice things for other people. It's not going to work. It's not going to, it's not going to help. Applying this back to coaching. Uh, and continuing to apply it back to coaching, right? Uh, which we've just begun. How does uh, this this concept of, of hedonic adaptation or hedonic treadmill apply to coaches? It's good for business. <laughs> that's that's the kind of cynical part of it. <laughs> no, no, Brooke's taking credit for this too. Um, and the cynical part of it is that as people accomplish their goals, they're always going to have Goal, more goals to complete. Yeah. Whatever they accomplish and finish, there's going to be they're going to be wanting for more. And this is kind of what we talked about last week, um, where people. Uh, what, what was? Re- is it a manipulation though? Like if we know that as coaches, like, yes. <laughs> like we know that the, the treadmill exists and that they're uh, they'll be back. You know what I mean? Well, not, not that. Not that. I'm not. I'm not saying. Oh, this you mean we gotcha. I'm not saying the specific client will be back, but there will always be clients to be had because whatever goals people complete, they're always going to be wanting more. There's always going to be the next thing that either will give them a short-term pleasure or a long-term, you know, gratification, but it's not going to be enough because they're always going to return to their baseline. I was listening to a podcast and they were interviewing um, employees at Google and I don't know if any you, people know this, but Google like treats their employees really well. Like they have like vending machines that are free, that are filled with just, you name it. They have crab cakes that they serve for lunch that are free. Crab like they have, Yes, oh, they do. Like they go all the time. I should um, start applying. No, me too. <laughs> awesome stuff for their employees, but the employees it's now have adapted and it's normal. That's the reg. Right. So they, they, they're, they're mad that they're having crab cakes on Tuesday um, because it's oh, crab cake day again, you know, and it's like anyway, any other workplace is like, what the, I can't imagine, but that's the, that is the new norm for them. Like that is their bar for normal has sort of come up. And so now they're doing this in a yeah. state where 
everybody else who doesn't have that would be like, oh my God, that's awesome. Okay, so here's an interesting idea then. Is it a bad idea to try to increase our baseline level of happiness further and further up because that's just a higher, you know, amount you can fall. It, it, good, it desensitizes you to like the bad things or the sufferings in life. I, and I think that's where a coach can come in and remind you of where you started, right? Here's where when we were in this, I, I call it that return on investment, reminding the client where they've started, where they are now and what their adaption is, is, is a good thing. And how to take ownership and continue that path versus not reminding them that they could definitely go down that path. I have interrupted you twice now, Brooke. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's, no, I'm just thinking. I was as you're sharing. No, I'm glad you're sharing because I'm thinking as you're sharing as the reminding and that process. And it's like it's almost like I want like a where I was vision board. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's what that's what some some coaches will do. They incorporate where they are now in that vision board. And then as they go along, <laughs> pictures of homeless people. Yeah. <laughs> and that reminds me of a story that I read like years and years ago. So I'm going to barely remember the story, but I'm going to give the, the tidbits that I do recollect. And it was about someone who uh, was really hard uh, down and out. And somebody said, we're going to do an experiment and we're going to give this person I think it was like $100 or $200. I don't remember the dollar amount. Let's say it's $1,000 every month. But they have to come here to their office to pick up that money. That they, as soon as they try to change that pattern, they don't get the money anymore. But they didn't. So there's manipulation in this. Not It's not a necessarily a good story. But the idea is that person did get used to going and picking up that money until they, you know, adapted. And now they're what you were talking about, Anthony, now that bar is raised. And now they want the money to be sent to them or have somebody deliver it or something else. So that dynamic shifted. They had forgotten where they had come from and putting that effort in. And it was about that effort. I mean, that's the takeaway that I have, not all of the removal of the money and all. I, I didn't like that part, but the effort, we have to remind our clients to continue that effort. Even though they've achieved something, effort still needs to be put in towards that purpose to find their value and uh, existential life experience. And to add to that too, I've had clients as well where we've gone through that process before where it's like, we're looking back, we're taking a retrospective. They can clearly see that a change has been made from their past self to their current self. And they make that comparison, but they did disclose to me. I'm just as miserable as I was before. Like something is like, I've achieved what I want. I don't feel any better because of it. And that's the, and they did feel good at first. They did get that boost of like happiness and fulfillment but it returned to that normal what they were before and so in the coaching they didn't really seem like they were like depressed i'm not gonna say that it didn't seem like it was like a referral out but they weren't as satisfied um as they thought they were going to be so then we had a longer talk about what is long-term satisfaction do you look like um ignoring all these other goals what does that kernel of feeling look like and then that's where the coaching went from there but yeah. that's where i get good job 
where I get kind of tripped up though in this space is okay. We know if we know about hedonic adaptation, we know that the the happiness, unless it's from a place of being altruistic, is not going to last. Um, I it's part of me goes like, what's the point? <laughs> right, like like we know that this client is the happiness is going to be short term. Um, which is how do we uh, as coaches assist our our clients in? I guess, maintaining or really realizing that the happiness, it, it's a short-term, elation is not a permanent state, right? Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. We, we have to be able to be normalized and be content with normal, right? It's, it's be, finding their acceptance for who they are, right? What's what we're talking about, who they are in, in whatever state they are, and accept that there's times that they're going to have that more higher is that the better word higher um excitement with what they're experiencing versus the other side you know or neutral right i have many people <clears throat> I, I tend to be in neutral i don't typically get real excited and yeah, there's times i've wanted to, i've been like lisa <laughs> and she's like no i'm maintaining normal <laughs> and i like, <laughs> Or more, do, but then I don't go down the other side of that. You know, mine is is a very short swing, <laughs> and and it does drive people crazy. But if I have those, I, I feel like it's not my normal state to go way up or way the other way. It's 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 not who I am. But for others to recognize that I, that is still contentment, that is still satisfaction, that is still me being uh, into what I'm experiencing. I really think mindfulness yeah. Yeah. Uh, is something that is critical in this space. Like mindfulness, um, and I, the word for some, like micro happiness, like yeah. micro celebration, micro, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where yeah. you just like, it's like the little blips, but you acknowledge those blips, you're mindful yeah. in those moments. And you're like, this is good. You know what, life is good. Life at life at, at, at mellow is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I go back to that uh, that life could be worse vision board. Um. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to make a, a tweak on your vision board. Instead of the where I was vision board, I'm oh, no, thinking about a what I've achieved vision board. And it's just all my yeah. achievements sure. and, and looking at it and be like, Sure. Look at how incredible. <laughs> In fact, there's a lot of people that need that reminder in coaching because they've forgotten what they've achieved, how they've gotten there, and what they can do because that is what they can do. You know, if something today you lost your job, they have gotten into, oh my gosh, this has happened. But if they remember how they got there, they've got all of that much more that they've gained. They've got even more that they can discover in that path of who and what. I mean, their capability is just, and can be more endless than where they had started. So yeah, absolutely. For me, it could be like seeing the things that I've done. Cause it's like, yeah, I did those, but what am I doing now? Like, you know what I mean? And that I could see like- and, that, and that's where you go is what are you doing now? What is it that you want to be doing now? That's either the same, different or variation, you know, so you get that picture colored. Like, just like you're saying, Jen. So it's a great, great thing to add. Indeed. Let's say here's the trap, though, is 
like the client I had before is like, you have that list of all those things. I'm still in the same place. I'm still unsatisfied. I'm still, you know, just because I did all those things in the past, that was great in the past, but it never like amounted to anything sort of meaningful. Um, Would you go to therapy? Because I only work with happy clients. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but you're a Debbie Downer. Get out. I only work with with people with a higher. I mean, I have a I have a, happiness, a baseline happiness, a, base, a baseline happiness set point intro quiz that you have to take, and if you don't score, <laughs> so I think the expectation a lot of the times with clients is they're expecting an instant result, which in what you're saying, Anthony, it sounds a little bit like that instant change. When have we ever instantly changed? Maybe a temporary because of a fear, mm-hmm. but when is when is that where we instantly change? Doesn't change typically take us a little effort? Well, I can, I can think of instant changes, but in the, in the negative sense, yeah. this is, this goes into an asymmetry between like suffering and pleasure. And we're talking about, we've been talking about coaching on ways to increase happiness, increasing the level of happiness or your baseline level happiness there's also coaching of reducing suffering, reducing the problems you have, minimizing yeah. the bad things in your life too, which is how some people imagine like happiness. It's sure. not increasing the good things. It's lessening the bad things. That's, yeah. So before you go on, what is happiness? I think everybody's going to define that differently. Mm-hmm. A slice of cheesecake. So what is your happiness? We had some good cheesecake over the weekend. Let me just Byron, Byron Katie in that interview defined it as a the absence of suffering. Yeah. I don't buy that for a second. Okay, explain. Um, so a lot of people, including Byron Katie, who's wrong, think <laughs> that hap- like that they think that happiness and suffering's on the spectrum. You're either suffering a lot or you're very happy all the time. And now you can come back in. Um, can you guys imagine a situation where you're both suffering and happy at the same time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Or uncomfortable or there's some negative. Right now I have to go to the bathroom and yet I'm still here talking to you guys. The immediate thoughts that came to my mind were like roller coasters and scary movies. There's a degree of uncomfortableness or danger or fear involved in those activities, but people indulge in it all the time and there's a i will say i mean think about it there are people who are suffering that ultimately their lives are not good but they find happiness in those moments like they're able to generate happiness and and be happy even though they know they're this is crap tomorrow's gonna be crap but i'm gonna make a point to find some happiness in the crap yeah (laughs) and so instead of thinking of like when we're talking about the hedonic treadmill and our baseline happiness and all that stuff. You think of it as like you're increasing or decreasing happiness. What people should start thinking of it. And I'm saying should, because I dictate all of this is that um, it's two different scales. You're doing, you're doing your level of happiness and your level of suffering. And you're measuring those two aspects next to each other. Um, so decrease your suffering, increase your happiness. That's probably the best way to go about it. Um, I would say one further, and this is, again, just advising, but 
it's sort of the concept of long-term thinking, right? Mm. Versus short-term thinking. Know that the short-term pleasures are probably eating a bite of chocolate. It's going to be great for a minute, but it's probably not going to sustain you for too, too long. Um, uh, and, and ultimately doing some suffering today will lead to this concept of long-term happiness and long-term happiness. I don't think is something that's like pinging off the scales. Like you're going to be in this state of elation for the rest of your life, you know, floating on clouds. Um, No, you're thinking in this, this thought process of, of I'm making choices today that might be uncomfortable so that, that later on in life, I can be more comfortable so that I can be more, more content, more, and I think it's the concept of like pursuit of happiness might be kind of dangerous. Um, it should be like pursuit of mindfulness and acceptance. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm reminded of another an experiment. I'm going to jump in here. I'm reminded of another experiment that I watched with children and marshmallows. And it was the, the young, I want to say six years old. I think they were in that range, six, seven, eight in that range. And if they could hold off on eating their marshmallow today, they would get two by the end of the day, you know, like in the morning. And there was another experiment that also said um, if they pause something, I can't remember what it is that the young child had to make a choice that their parent would get the gift that they really wanted. And so the experiment of the immediate pleasure versus, you know, holding off, just what you're talking about, Brooke, they played it out with children. And actually most of the kids that they showed did really well in choosing to wait. I thought that was interesting. um, I think we lose that a little bit as we get older. Though. Like I think because we get burned or scorned or we, we want like the, we, life is more difficult. So we want the, the pleasure yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but as a kid, I think we've got this sort of um, uh, like trust uh, naivete that exists yeah. that we were like, okay, yeah, it's going to be better. Okay. I can hold out. I can hold out on this. I, I also, I, I think <laughs> also too, like short-term pleasure is pretty much guaranteed like, you know, if you eat that cheeseburger or you have that marshmallow or do whatever it is you're going to do in the short term, you will probably get that spike of serotonin that you need yeah. to get through the day. Like, if you need your morning coffee, you'll have it, you'll feel good, and then you can carry on with your life. Long-term pleasures or long-term, um, I'm forgetting the word, but the long-term gratification is not always guaranteed. It's kind of more up in the air or other people will tell you that it's out there, but it's not entirely well, we always also realize that though. we might get hit by a meteor tomorrow. So well, it feels more in your control too, to take the short term yeah. pleasure versus waiting for a longer experience of pleasure. Right. And this is when we talk about the hedonic treadmill and your, yeah. you know, baseline where we talked about 50% of your happiness is dictated, you know, Genetics. before you're born genetically. That leaves a whole 50% where you are in control of it. A lot of times people will always choose the short-term thing because it gives you that sense of control. It's almost always guaranteed. Um, and it's enough to keep you going until the next But then thing. it's like living paycheck to paycheck, right? That people is, do that all the time. Exactly. Now. Yeah. I know, um, I know. I'm just saying, but but ultimately uh, the, the goal would be not to have to do that, to be able to think long-term enough to 
mm-hmm. save, etc. And this is a, a giant analogy or a metaphor at the moment uh, for you can apply the same to happiness is why are you living happiness paycheck to happiness paycheck? But if that's sustaining you, then awesome. Well, the very yeah. well article um, that I think we all read, I'm not sh- sure. I think maybe Jen posted it. Um, it does recommend that you, one of the ways is to live that to that happiness paycheck to paycheck, except it's not the same paycheck. So like if I always drank that cup of coffee in the morning, it's not going to be as great. You have to vary it up somehow. Um, you can't always indulge in the same thing over and over again. And interesting enough, they they say that, that like how, buying houses, buying things, uh, not as satisfying as spending your money on other people and spending your money on experiences. It's um, true. It's true. Yeah. I was um, going to input here. We've had a couple of students come through who were lottery winners that came through the program and kind of going in alignment with what we're saying, that altruistic experience is what they wanted to do. They weren't planning on really charging for their services as they were going to donate them into what made their heart sing, as I call it, made their heart sing so that they were contributing back to society. One of them uh, had it been a year after and that he realized um, that that's what he needed to do. So lots and lots more proof in this direction that we're talking through is when you're doing kind things and you come up with a game plan as the person, not the coach, it's very much a fulfilling experience. Well, that's and the other thing. Don't want to take that away. Go ahead. How do we, as coaches, as we watch our clients, you know, I will finally be happy and fulfilled if I have, you know, XYZ. a million dollars in the bank. But uh, if uh, under ketonic adaptation, it we're like, no, you won't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you're not happy before the million dollars. Technically, you're not going to oh, be. You know, you'll be. Yeah, that was a fantastic exactly. Jim Brady quote, by the way. Mm-hmm. If you, that was a Brady Bunch quote, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Brady, I Bunch. Brady Bunch. Quote. Oh my yeah, god! There you are. You're yes. the- <laughs> oh, I didn't know that's where that came from. <laughs> I think it's also like a Paradise Lost quote, but it's like Satan who's saying it. He's very unhappy with himself. There's a book. I have a book called "Wherever You Go, There You Are." I literally have a book. There you go. They, he stole it from the, or they stole it from the Brady Bunch. From the Brady Bunch. Brady Bunch are That is like, that's, you know, that's day one. Is, yeah, is, we teach you the Brady Bunch in class day one. <laughs> <laughs> that's the foundation of ICF um, coaching. Yeah. Also, the, one of the ways we, we, this is kicked around in our chat. What does this mean for coaches? What is... I'm not saying for our clients as coaches, but what does hedonic adaptation mean for coaches? It's good for business. Well, other than that, yeah. <laughs> not when it comes to clients, to the coach. Oh, and to the coach. The coach experience. My experience as what I'm experiencing as a coach, right? What? How? How might hedonic adaptation come into play for the coach? So I think it would come into play. Well, it has to be self-esteem. Right. Yeah, I would say it provides yeah. you with the baseline for a realistic expectation. Yeah. Even if you're getting your client to move mountains, hypothetically, um, and they're not coming out of that as excited or as ecstatic as you figured they would be for moving those mountains, 
you don't have to take yeah. that personally. You've got to understand this is part of the human process, and there really isn't. Again, speaking, considering this concept here, it's not you know, it's creating that realistic expectation. Even if your client does achieve those goals, it's not you. It's again part of the human process. Maybe your clients just kind of level, and that's cool. Like you don't have to have that breakthrough, right? Is what you're saying? Yeah. To to add to that too, um, if you want to become a coach and you think this is your way to being fulfilled, you're going to have to have the buy-in of you're helping people too, despite how much money you may or may not make as a business owner. If you want to feel fulfilled doing being a life coach, you're going to want to be altruistic and you're in it to help people mm-hmm. and to grow. And then it'll make you happier. Yes. And then it'll make you happier. If you're in it for the money, though, perfectly fine. It's still a, like a viable business option. Just find another avenue for to, like to, fulfillment. To raise, to raise your happiness. Separately. Yeah. It makes I me don't... think of what Sam said today in um, the alumni chat. Have more to offer than you have to sell, provide more value essentially, and have that be your focus. And the buyers will come when you provide that value up front. Yeah. So it's good for business too, to still be an altruistic. It's good for happiness and it's good for business. Yeah. <laughs> and, but that's, I mean, choosing, it's one of the things though, thought of choosing to be in this field where you're living is helping others. Every day is spent helping others and helping others in, in a way. And if you're truly passionate about it, it's truly your altruistic dream. That is what they define as the way to raise your happiness set point. Um, so pretty sweet uh, bonus thing that comes with life coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could get overall happier. Um, the other thing too, though, is Jen, I think you brought this up in our private chat is uh, with this. We have clients who are constantly, or maybe it was Jerome constantly saying, well, if I just have four clients, I'll be happy. If I'll just have oh, that was Jen, yeah. yeah. If I just, and they yeah. get themselves on this wheel of uh, if, if it's if I just had this, it would be enough. If I just had this, I, mean, I have worked with clients that had clients, and but it was never enough for them. Um, it was never right. They were never happy. They were never satisfied. Or they don't understand what comes with having that amount of clients. Because it'd be nice if I had twenty clients and I could just you know do the hours during the week and whatever, but that doesn't account to, for the work I have to do to get that amount of clients. Um, or to sustain in. that amount of clients. Yeah, it's just not yeah. your twinkle of your nose like Miss Bewitched. Remember her? She could twinkle her nose and create it. I know, can you twinkle? Mine looks funny. Looks like I'm sneezing. Uh, you know, and create it. It doesn't, it doesn't, and you and I, Brooke, have had this conversation with many students. It doesn't happen overnight. It's usually a 10-year process to become successful. It's not an overnight success, creating any business. And this is a business creating any business. It's about three years to get stable. So that pendulum, this hedonic, what are we calling it? The hedonic treadmill uh, treadmill. as a coach right there. We can also see how a coach might go through that um, pendulum swing because of their expectations, their self-esteem, thinking they're a failure, not you know and they haven't done the work that it requires or put the time in that it usually takes to build a business to call back to something anthony said earlier too he mentioned that that you have to 
it, it has to be your idea. You have to be in yeah. this to actually help other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so critical because I think yeah. that the people, that's the difference between being passionate about what you're doing yeah. and doing it and it's work. Not to say that you can't have success just doing the do and not being passionate. You can, you, you're going to put the work and just know that it I probably, do that all the time. It's not going to be as satisfying uh, probably as somebody who's really passionate about what it is that they're doing. There is a weird balance there, but that would be a topic for another day. Um, but uh, when when I say I've had clients, I'm talking about when I've, when I've had coaching co- clients that were coaches that were hired me to do marketing for them and things like that. It, it, it was interesting to see the ones that were not passionate about this. This was, a it, business. it seemed weird. like yeah. it was hard for like, the, if they weren't getting the, the, the successes didn't feel like successes. Like it was always just, just this grind. It did. It felt like a it's grind. another job. It's another job that they had to figure out. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where mm-hmm. that, like having some passion, especially in an entrepreneurial state as a coach is kind of critical because if you can't get up and live, eat, breathe, and sell what you do every day, you probably should be doing nine to five, um, which, because then you have to, right? You get, there's nobody, otherwise yeah. you can motivate. And if you don't have that passion. An, an entrepreneur has failed so many times, but they don't let that stop them. There's that pendulum swing, right? They're still in the pursuit of their happiness and their, their dream uh, altruistic experience of what their business uh, can be. I mean, I like the, what's the guys from Virgin Airlines and um, I always forget his name. I don't know why, but I, no, love, I can't remember his name. Um, Richard, yeah. Richard, Richard Branson. Branson. I love his work and his, I mean, I've watched him. I don't know him obviously, but I've watched him for many years and he just, he takes it with a grain of salt and moves on and creates something bigger and better. And he's, he's been successful He's had lots of people um, honor him. <clears throat> people that work with him are excited to work with him as well. And I just think as an entrepreneur, you have to have that spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, inevitably, and this is, this is business strategy, Brooke, yeah. uh, your, your successes are, will inevitably become your failures in 10 or 15 yeah. years. If you aren't, if you haven't built a business that can adapt, because the reality is every, every business, every product is always adapting and changing. And so you have to be capable of doing so. And so you can't ever get stuck in a place of resting on your laurels. You have to be willing to change, fail and let go of things when they weren't in. Right. Mm-hmm. Even Walmart is changing how they're doing things. They were stuck in their way. It's, you know, they had that hierarchy um, mannerism. They've started incorporating coaching and are taking on different um, avenues that, that they didn't take in the history of them. So it's kind of cool that they started to recognize after however many years, what are they, 40 years, 50 years in the business? Did you say they started incorporating coaching? Uh-huh. I think I, yeah, I was about to say, I Walmart, think we found our newest group Walmart, clients. We're happy to, uh, we will happily train all of your employees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, mm-hmm. Can we get Walmart on the line? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we know Google's been using coaching for a really long time. Mm-hmm. You know, internal well, coaching. I mean, the U.S. government's using coaching. I mean, that's. Government's using coaches and military's using coaching. Coaching right now is, as, as many of you will say, oh, it's so many. It's just because you're hanging out with a lot of coaches. There's really not that many of us, right. especially credentialed. 
my my dad told me Fox Business is now offering coaching somehow. I haven't seen. Yeah. I, I tried to look and I couldn't find. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, we're going mainstream and we're going right yeah. wing. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Not for, I, I don't want to bring politics no into politics. this. It does seem, though, when when you really step into the coaching world as a coach, it does seem like everyone's a coach. And when you kind of zoom out of that, like at least for me, it's like, no, I literally know like two coaches <laughs> in the physical realm. Yeah. Yeah, and nobody it. really has any clue what coaching is ultimately. Well, <laughs> and those that just hang the shingle, th calling themselves a coach, they're really not a coach because they're out there giving all the advice and consulting. They're doing something other than coaching. So that's that's the big difference. And they're not increasing anybody's happiness set point, nor are they assisting them in their hedonic treadmill because they're just telling them yeah. what to do. And nobody's getting any satisfaction from being told what to do. So... Which my brain just went somewhere completely over. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes to all you said, non-ICF coaches also suck it. Oh my <laughs> no, there's some good coaches out there I that are good. Good. For sure. There really are. <laughs> you know, they've adapted, they've learned things, they just haven't done the you know, different paths that are available. So ultimately, let's uh, recap. We're in our last few minutes. I'm just gonna, so the hedonic treadmill is this this concept of um, I would only be happy if I had this. We achieve this, and then we find we are the same amount of happy. And so we keep going on this treadmill. Where, uh, well, well, if I just had this, I would be happy. If I just had this, I'd be happy. If I just had this, I'd be happy. And we keep finding that we're we're not happier in these situations. Um, can we do a roundtable of personal experience on the hedonic treadmill? I'm really curious what uh, um, what you guys uh, got. We're good at dating life at some point or another. <laughs> Yeah, like, I could get specific, but I don't think I should. Um, I'm trying to think of something. I'm one of those weird people that my resting life tends to be happy. Like, I just tend yeah. to be cool and okay with things. Like, it just, my, for whatever reason, it, like, if you take a quiz and it says, do you tend to be a happier human being? I, I fall in the realm of somebody who is generally happier now have i had depression have i yes, have i had the whole other side of things absolutely but when i'm like doing good and i'm pretty content like i'm pretty like yeah life is not so bad so as far as like if i had this i would be satisfied if i had this i would be satisfied i generally satisfied so i don't know <laughs> i generally adapt to things or create the change typically I mean, I might have my little tizzy temper tantrum, as I call it, you know, where I'm like, <laughs> but once I'm done with that little angst, I'm in that space with, okay, what, are, what's the next step? What do I got to do here? And I call that satisfaction because I'm not dwelling on, I guess if you say the negative, I mean, the negative side of that, I am sure there's something I could give as an example, but it's not coming to me at the moment. I'm going to keep thinking. Jen, you must yeah. have an example. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I have plenty of examples of this. Um, that, might, that might trip my memory. So, Well, okay. So uh, one example that comes to mind, it's not, I'm going to preface it by saying it's not that I'm not happy. 
Yeah. It's that I recognize that I have complaints and I have stressors and I have things mm. that frustrate me or annoy me in this yeah. thing that I thought as soon as I have this thing, my life is going to be perfect and amazing. So when we, um, me and my husband built a house and I was able to really like make sure it was a layout that worked perfectly for me and my life and the way I do things, you know, I wanted the laundry room near the bedroom so I can do Doesn't laundry. Does that make sense? Yes. Open floor plan. You know, I don't want an upstairs. It was like, I got literally everything that I wanted. So I have this perfect gen house, but yet there's all these problems that I can come up with and I can complain about. And so it's like the mindfulness is so important to remind myself of how can I shift into being grateful for this house again and get excited about having this house and, and let's do something new in this house. Let's decorate this space. It's like just staying in the moment and then shifting into gratitude and then and then enjoying it again, instead of complaining about like, oh gosh, well, this is still a problem, even in this house that I thought was going to be perfect, you know? So, so, if, so I could tell you a short story. It's not really my story. It's part of, so, you know, I've been with my husband for like almost 40 years. We've been married 35 years, something like that, you know, and he always had this complaint that I would leave the dishes until the morning or somewhat and it's a complaint we've had fights over we've had i mean i'm gonna tell you i mean we had a long relationship i was almost uh, 19 when i met him so it's been through my it's all it's, and it's still the truth as much as we've tried to work through it i'm still the same <laughs> i leave the dishes till morning because i figure it's easy to clean them up then and i, and I don't want to do it at night time right for him that's something dis <laughs> that's something different so i got distracted with the chat sorry popped up right when i was talking now i don't know where my brain is oh no sorry <laughs> <laughs> um it, at any rate so that when you were talking that's come something that came up for me and i related to what was my point there was a point i guess i'll have to come back to it I don't remember what I the think point that, it's a good point. Like Lisa's been married for 40 years, right? She's almost 40 years. You can't, she's sharing. Like, it's not like it's always puppies, kittens, rainbows, unicorns. I love oh you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no. There's like these peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. But uh, the idea is that you, you, you've got that commitment. You're there, you, and, and you make yeah, it work. And, um, yeah. That's that and that's kind of a good example of like, is there, was there an expectation of it being bliss? <laughs> um, and now you're disappointed that, oh man, no. it's real life. <laughs> I think um, that experience just makes it part of life. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that's part of what keeps my, my lines more flat versus going high extreme being happy or low or, you know, really low and being sad. I'm not saying I don't get sad, of course, but I don't have those big pendulum swings like I'm many people do. It's a little, again, so it's a, a both contradictory and supportive of coaching. Cause as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, 
for me, like it's the little things, like the little goals, the little moments and celebrating the little moments uh, and, and acknowledging the little moments, being mindful in the little happinesses that amounts to overall happiness, right? If I can be happy with the little things every day, overall happiness will feel like it is, I mean, I will be overall happier if I, if I can find a way to celebrate the little itty bitty wins and, and not just always be living for some big win, some big thing. If I find a way to make little wins all the way along the way, then the whole process is a win. It's not just this one, this, when this one thing happens, that's, I will finally be satisfied. That's just not realistic to me. Like, let's, let's have fun. Let's enjoy. The I, I read that somewhere where that's what their study was, came up with is the little ones that get us through and build our happiness scale, not the big ones. So you're right on something. Mm -hmm. So now we're back to hedonism. Ignore short-term half or ignore long-term happiness. It's not going to happen. Only focus on short-term happiness. I mean, and the little wind. There's a point to make here. I mean, happiness is happiness, right? Um, no matter how big that win is or how small it is, you're still achieving some sort of happiness. So I think if the client recognizes it. The client's got to recognize that, though. That's yes. the difference. That mindfulness piece is, is huge. You're happy. You're <laughs> <laughs> no, no, being happy. You just never know with those long-term, I guess, I polls. The smile. Don't you feel happy? No. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you're right, Jerome. Thank you for your setting realistic expectation. Yeah. You, you have to, I think, again, even in the process of I'm not saying don't set big goals. I think those are important. It's, it's great to look forward to, you know, yeah. bigger things, different things than you normally look forward to, but setting that realistic expectation and, you know, incorporating mindfulness in that process that once you get there, it may not be as crazy as it seems. Um, and that's okay. I think it's okay to, you know, kind of come to that conclusion when you get to that point, because right after that, guess what? Go ahead and give yourself another short-term uh, happiness. I don't know, boost by going and get a burger or whatever, you know, amplify with that. Who knows? Um, I think in, in a balanced way, right? Not yeah, don't not in an addiction kind of way. No, definitely not. Yeah, I'm I'll go in a downward spiral and say work yeah. is the only thing that can make me happy at this yeah. point. But yeah, yeah. So mindfulness. We're back to mindfulness. Mm -hmm. No, See, I think that about wraps yeah. up the conversation. Um, Lisa has to. Use a little girl's room. My yeah. final final thoughts of this space is as you guys are sharing is uh, to if at all possible find a way to to create pleasure, create happiness mm -hmm. in small ways in everything, if you can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like little you know, meaningful. I have I have meaningful. to do Yes, mm -hmm. meaningful. I have to do this really crappy thing. Well, what is something that you can do to maybe make it a little more pleasurable or more fun or more, you know, and if it's maybe it's playing music that you like, maybe it's, I, 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 to stay sane, I have to work out every day. So I've found a way to do it that is actually enjoyable for me. And it's not like hell and beating my head against the board. So, you know, that's trying to find the small pleasures, the small joys, the, the little moments of happiness and, and, uh, to enjoy the experience more than the tangible things. Live. Can, can I say one thing, final thought no, about no, no. my house situation that I described? <laughs> I, I have to actually remind myself, this is what living in this house is like. 
this is what it feels like. It's not all rainbows and butterflies. Like it, at the end of the day, it's a house. It requires maintenance. It requires work. It requires love and care and all sorts of stuff. And so I just remind myself, like, this is part of it. It there's, you know, there's two sides of it. And it's just, this is what living in this house feels like for me. And then also not, you know, shaming myself like well you got exactly what you wanted and you're still not happy geez you know because i could easily go there but uh but i don't i allow myself to just be and experience whatever it is even if it's not always perfect it's i still love it i still love living in this house it's amazing so grateful and i think that you can take the part about living uh in a house away from that and apply it regardless like like you know, I, I think you can just take the whole, that whole concept of the house, but we can apply that to life. Like, like just be, just be okay with living, just be yeah. happy with, you know, and remind yourself that, that this is right. part of life and it's going to be good, right. bad. Otherwise it's, uh, that is being human. That is this, the experience of, of this being is what human. being human feels like. This is what <laughs> being human is like. I love that. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. great. Or you can go be a rock or something like that. If you're not happy. <laughs> I've got my own opinions on that, but we'll just <laughs> right now. Right. that should wrap it up. Sue, be sure to like, subscribe, follow us, take our classes, our level one, level two class. You will increase your baseline happiness level even further by getting certified <laughs> with us and not a treadmill. Um, yeah. And also, those of you out there uh, in social media, if you also have a TikTok, you should find us on TikTok mm -hmm. and follow us on TikTok. Oh, we, we have a TikTok. TikTok. Yes, we're, we do. We're, we're working it. Coaches on TikTok, and you can see some uh, behind the scenes, uh, you know, goofiness going on amongst our our folks. It's sort of where we're we're taking our tie off and, and mm -hmm. enjoying ourselves and having fun. None of us are wearing ties, but uh, yes. Check, out, check out check us out on TikTok. Uh, side note and. Beyond that, come back and watch us next week because we'll be back at four o'clock. Mm. I have no clue what our subject is. I should. Pacific standpoint. We'll, we'll find out next. Check out Certified Life Coach Institute. Okay, <laughs> goodbye. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into today's episode. Once again, this is brought to you by Certified Life Coach Institute. We're an ICF accredited school who certifies our life coaches in three day online intensive courses. In addition to other podcast episodes, feel free to check us out every Tuesday at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time on YouTube or Facebook for our CLCI Lives, where we get together and discuss various topics that are centered around sharpening your skills so you can become a better certified life coach. For more information, feel free to visit us at certifiedlifecoachinstitute.com. Until next time, be well.